promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. Don't regret this, Lord. I'm a wonderful person. Gospel according to John, the 15th and 16th chapters. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. My dad once told me a story of a vacation that he took with my grandmother back to South Dakota where she was born. She was born in Chamberlain, South Dakota. And before they went, my grandmother was telling them all about what it was like when she was growing up, growing up in the 20s and 30s, during the Dust Bowl, all that stuff, everything brown, everything dead, everything dying, nothing. And then they make this trip out there, and it's green, and it's lush, and vibrant. And she kept on saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be, because she knew it in a certain way, and now she's seeing it in a completely different way. And if I remember correctly, the context of my dad telling me the story was actually the first trip that my then-girlfriend, now-wife, Carrie, and I took together to California. She had never been before. I grew up during a drought where everything was just brown. Everything was dead. There there were wildfires all the time. Nothing was green. Nothing was lush. And we get out there, and everything's green, and everything's lush. And I'm commenting about how wonderful the hills look, how vibrant the trees look, and all these other things. And... So my wife, her first experience of California was completely different than what I had growing up, just like my grandmother's experience of California was completely, of of South Dakota was completely different than what my dad experienced on his, I believe, one and only time to South Dakota. But because of that drought, for me, seeing green hills in San Luis Obispo was 
It was anathema. That shouldn't be the case. Even now today, with the droughts that continue to hit California, I have a niece and nephew who absolutely have no clue which windshield wipers are for. My my sister-in-law tells a story about how it actually was raining one day, and they were in the car, and she had to use the wipers. And both of her, her children said, what are those? They had no idea what those things were, because storms and rain were just not normal. Well, imagine my first time surviving a Minnesota Thunder Boomer storm. Okay, I'm in college, and it's lightning and thunder. It wakes me up. The, the windows are rattling. It's slamming against my dorm room, and, and I'm thinking that I'm one of the disciples in the boat with the waves just crashing everywhere, hoping that Jesus will wake up and calm the storm. I'm like thinking a tornado is going to come. We're going to die. It's all over. I'd never experienced anything like that because we would have storms every now and then in California, but nothing like what we can get here in the Midwest. It was something sudden upon me. And then imagine my first time through a tornado warning with the sirens. When I was a kid, if sirens went off, that meant that the nuclear power plant that was just next door exploded or something. So so I'm freaking out when the sirens go off here, thinking Jesus is coming back, everything's done. And so having to go and hide in the basement in the dorm room was not exactly the most enjoyable thing of my life, but it comes onto us suddenly, right? We hear those sirens and suddenly, boom, everything's upset. Everything is transformed for us. Well, just like that is for me, it'd be the same thing if I were to take you to California and you were to experience your first earthquake. You would have no clue what it would be like. You'd be freaking out thinking the world is coming to end, I think, because you've never probably experienced something like that. It comes on to us suddenly. It it takes us in a place that we're not wanting to go. It's something unknown, and and the unknowns fill us with fear. Well, I'm here to tell you that in reality, that is the Christian life, taking us into the unknowns. In the Christian life, you don't just go along and God goes along for the ride. God actually comes to you and invades your life, transforms you, takes you actually to places you maybe don't want to go because that's the work of the cross. Think about it. God interrupts history to come into the world to take away sin, to die on a cross, to bring new birth, new life to the world. And I love that new birth picture. Think about it this way. This is how I talk about it with, with the students sometimes, is that when you were born, especially if you're the firstborn, you completely upset your parents' world. Everything that they had of just the two of them and going on date nights and having fun and all these other things, completely gone because you show up and now, instead of it just being a married couple, now they're parents. This child coming into the world and transforming the way that life used to be and now it's something else. And that is the work of God in us, changing things, and sometimes not in a way that we would definitely choose for ourselves. Well, that's Pentecost. Normally we think of Pentecost, which is today, Pentecost Sunday. It's the birth of the church, yes. The Spirit comes, the church is born, ta-da. It's also the time in the Jewish calendar where they remember the the gift of the Ten Commandments. Mount Sinai, uh, fire, thunder, lightning, clouds, God speaking, ten laws, all those things. They, They remember that, the gift of the covenant. And the problem for us is that if it just is this abstract thing that happened in history, it means nothing. But for this morning, at least once a year, 
we come together and we celebrate the fact that God is more than just some abstract thing. He's actually somebody that comes into our life, comes into our story, invades things, and interrupts things. It's part of the reason why I chose the verse that I did out of Acts chapter 2, verse 2, because it starts out with this, these two words, and suddenly, and suddenly, unprepared, unsought for, something comes. It's unexpected. It's immediate. It's surprising. Just like a storm for me, an earthquake for you, a child coming into our lives and, and transforming things. Here it says, and suddenly. It wasn't something that was caused by the disciples there in that, that, that place gathered for prayer. It was something that came to them suddenly. And where did it come from? But it tells us, and suddenly from heaven. Not from their own doing, not from their own abilities, something outside of us, above us, beyond us, over us. It fulfills what Jesus says at the end of Luke, in Luke 24, where he says, Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that is what is coming, this power from on high, something from heaven. Which is why we pray in the... In the Lord's Prayer, the first petition, our Father who art in heaven, somebody that is above us, beyond us, enthroned above us, that we are his servants. He is in charge. He is the King. He is the Lord. And here, something is coming from him to us, a gift. And what is that thing? But, but the sound of the rush of a violent wind. And, and we have to say sound because we can't necessarily see wind. We can see its effects, but we can't necessarily see it. Well, here it comes as a rush of a violent wind. And I read this passage, and at first I'm thinking about all those pictures that we love that we get out of Revelation with Jesus knocking at the door. Hello, can I come in? You know, have you ever heard of Jesus? Him being polite, wanting to knock, wanting you to open the door, sell you some Girl Scout cookies, whatever. Well, this is not what's happening here. Instead of Jesus being all, hello, anybody home? No, that's not him. He's, kaboom, kicking the door open. The door flings open, and we're unprepared for it. The sudden thing coming upon us, and maybe that is where we go wrong. We see him as this polite, non-intrusive, cute, little, lovely, little shepherd, teacher, Jesus person. But that is not who God is at all, and that is not who Jesus is at all. Think of the Israelites in Egypt prior to the Exodus. Yes, they're wailing in their slavery, in their pain. Moses shows up, and actually life gets worse for them in Egypt at that time because Pharaoh takes out the, the outcomes of the plagues upon the people, making them have less food, have, have less ability to do their work, all these things. And then finally God rescues them, take, takes them through the Red Sea, and then they have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, complaining about how they wish, it was so bad that they wish they could go back to slavery. God coming, invading their lives and taking them in a direction that maybe they're not ready to go. Or you think of Jesus in the temple when he clears it, overturns all the tables. Everyone was comfortable with the way they saw things working, and Jesus said, no. He overturned everything. Maybe that's what needs to happen in us. Or you think of Saul, who becomes Paul. He's on his way to Damascus, and then Jesus shows up, transforms his life, knocks him off his horse, makes him go blind, sends him into, to Damascus. He, he's in his blindness, not eating for three days, and then Ananias comes and lays hands up on him and 
heals him and he's baptized, but then God says, I'm going to use you as my instrument, my tool, and it's not going to be fun. You're going to go testify about me before governors and kings, and they're going to be mean to you. They're going to be mean to you. And yet that's what happens in new birth in God, this new work of the Spirit. Most of us know John 3, be born again. We normally leave it to the evangelicals, the fundamentalists. Have you been born again? Kind of a thing. But no, this is very Lutheran for us. This is a beautiful Lutheran passage, beginning at verse 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Um, baptism, anyone? What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind, wind, blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. God coming to us as though we are a, a, a ship in the doldrums lost all wind and we're just floating along hoping that we end up somewhere and the wind comes and takes us. And yeah, we can try and tack with the wind, but it's going to take us. It's going to win. Especially a violent wind is going to take us where that wind wants to take us. And that is what frightens us, maybe. Because that wind might take us where we don't want to go. Well, finally, the passage says that it fills the entire House. Every space is taken up that they dwell in by this wind, by this spirit, by this gift from God. There's no room for anything else. It comes both active and passive. Here in verse 2, it's the active work of God filling the space. Passively, it comes as the disciples are filled by the Holy Spirit, overwhelmed, taken over by God in that way. I wonder if you've ever been overwhelmed by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, because it's been prayed over you many times. In fact, it happens at your baptism. I, I grabbed the, the green hymnal because a lot of us were baptized using this green hymnal, possibly the, even the hymnal before this, the service book and hymnal. But there's this prayer that is prayed after the baptism over the child. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for freeing your sons and daughters from the power of sin and for raising them up to a new life, new birth, through this holy sacrament. Pour your Holy Spirit upon this child, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of joy in your presence. At your baptism, praying that the Spirit would come into you for wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The same prayer is prayed when you come forward for your confirmation hands laid upon you, praying that the Spirit would invade your life to take you in the direction that God is calling you, that you might be His and used for His purposes in the world. And that is what each of us are in need of this morning. Maybe some of us more than others, we are needing this gift of, of God to come upon us, gift for ministry, for love and serve of neighbor, for use in His church. But maybe also wisdom for life because we need help picking the right way because we've picked the wrong way so many times. Or strength for the work of ahead because we are caught in those doldrums, in suffering, in pain and sorrow, and we need the Spirit to come and be that comforter, be that one who cares for us. 
Now, in many ways, maybe some of you are listening to this and you think I'm only talking to young people. This Sunday, in fact, we are recognizing our seniors, uh, our graduating young people. And I, I would think many of them have plans. They have visions for the future. And some of them have zero plans for the future. They, they have no clue whatever is going to happen is going to happen is where they are. But, but God knows better whether we are, have a plan or we don't. God's plan works out And maybe that is what some of you need this morning is for God's plan to become become yours. Because maybe God hasn't figured much into, into anything that you've been deciding, and yet he will. He'll find a way. He's going to burst through that door and move you in a direction that maybe you are not prepared. Or, or maybe God has been integral to everything that is going on, every detail. And he needs to continue to be pushing you somewhere that he might use you where there is a need. Either way, God is calling to you. And maybe you are one of these folks who you have no clue. You don't know. You wish you knew. And maybe that's because you're in need of God to speak to you because maybe he's calling you to ministry, to quite literally be a pastor. And maybe no one has ever told you that before, but maybe that is what God has laid upon your heart this morning. Well, those of you who are not seniors in high school, those of you who are not younger and maybe you're older and you're thinking, well, I don't need any of this. This isn't for me. Well, you might be right, but, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't want you to sell yourself short. I, I found this thing on, on Facebook and I, I shared it the other day, but someone wrote, if, if you're feeling worried about how little you've achieved, remember that Bram Stoker didn't write Dracula until he was 50 and Dracula didn't kill anyone until he was dead. That leaves a broad swath of of time for God to use you however he might use you. But think of all the patriarchs, all the examples we have in Scripture. Abraham was 75 years old when God said, take up everything and go to this land that I'm going to give to you and your children. And he had no children at the time. Or Moses was 80 years old when God called him to lead the people out of Egypt. Caleb was 85 years old when he finally makes it into the promised land and then he goes and gets his inheritance, the mountain country of Judah. Or Joseph, for those of you who are a little bit younger, under 50, uh, he was 30 years old when he got out of prison, when he had such a difficult time of life, hardship, pain, suffering for almost 20 years. God gets him out of prison and he's used to save his people and to save the people of Egypt. Or Amos. I love the story of Amos. We don't know how old he was when God called him into ministry, called him into being used by God for his work. But we know that Amos was, number one, a shepherd. And number two, he was a dresser of trees. So he had a job. He had a career. He had a resume. He had a CV. He had all that stuff. And then God said, oh, by the way, I'm going to make you a preacher now. Leave all that other stuff behind. You have a different job to do. God calling us. So today, maybe we need to hear Peter speak to us, whether we're young or we're old. He he preaches and he he quotes from Joel 2. In the last days, it it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." Old, young, free, slave, rich, poor, no matter. God uses who he uses. He calls whom he calls. 
this morning on Pentecost, I wonder how the Spirit is working in your life, calling you into work and service, but even more, doing the work that the Advocate does, calling us out of our sin, reminding us of who Jesus is, of what he has done. I love the picture in Ezekiel 37, the dry bones. It's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. I I just love Ezekiel, period. But it's this picture of these dry bones. These are bones of long dead people that if you picked them up, they would probably crumble in your hands. And God asks an important question. He, He asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives the right answer. Oh, Lord God, you know. And then God says, prophesy to the bones. Tell them that I will put my breath within them. That word ruach also means spirit and wind. It's the same as pnevma, the word that's in the Greek means spirit, wind, breath. I will put my breath within them and they will live. How many of you are dry bones this morning? You've searched for everything. You've longed for so many things. Even in the midst of COVID, I know as a parent, spending so many days this past 14, 15 months trying to keep life normal for my kids and discovering I fail every time, needing to have the breath of life breathed into me of Christ, of God, His Spirit, to keep me going, to maybe even just get me out of bed in the morning. That is the call of God upon us. May God's Spirit descend on us today as it did 2,000 years ago, that we might be empowered to bring his message and to live by him alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.